Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. And it is time for Mike Angelina and I to go through the NFL Week 9 recap. Um, I guess we'll start with what happened on uh, Thursday. You can keep it playing a little bit there, Mike. A little low-level music. Um, uh, We'll start on what happened Thursday night. Packers beat the Niners 34-17 in a game where both teams were riddled riddled with um, injury and they had a bunch of positive coronavirus tests. Aaron Rodgers uh, dominated the Niners in that one, but I guess we talked about this a little bit Friday morning. Uh, But the Packers dominated that game. Uh, Packers now pretty much the odds-on favorite to win the North. The Bears falling off the last couple weeks, Mike. Yeah, I think they were odds-on before them anyway. But, yeah, um, Aaron Rodgers threw one of the, the best pump fakes you'll ever see. Well, Obviously, you don't throw on a pump fake, but he executed one of the best pump right. fakes you'll ever see. Right. And the Niners, I, I I, think the Niners have sustained one too many injuries. I don't see them come back this year. And they are like the anti-Eagles, where they are just in the most brutal division in all of football. Um, so, not much chance for them there. So, we get to the Sunday games. Giants at Washington football team. Uh, Giants led this game 23 to 3 I believe or 20 to 3 something like that. Washington fought back. Um Kyle Allen ends up getting injured, dislocated ankle, so Alex Smith comes in. Um Alex Smith uh threw a touchdown pass, looked okay, but had a couple really bad turnovers. Interception at the end of the game just awful. And the Giants hold on to beat Washington 23 to 20. Giants now 2 and 7, Washington 2 and 6. Uh what do you got on this one, Mike? I mean, Alex Smith just – they threw the ball way too many times with Alex Smith. They just – what was the final tally? It was – and we're talking about a guy that played, what, three quarters of the game? Yeah. Um, 32 passes. I guess, you know, it, it felt worse. And I mentioned it earlier, but is there any point to playing Alex Smith over Haskins at this point? I mean, you got to find out what you have. Uh, and I know that – that staff doesn't seem to really like Haskins. Yeah, it's got to be discipline, right? I guess. I mean, I, well, he he had a, an incident where he was uh, got in trouble for not following protocols. But come on, Alec, what are we doing with Alex Smith here? Uh, so the Giants win that one. Giants keep themselves firmly entrenched in the NFC East race. Next, we go to Atlanta, where I know Mike had his eye out for his Matt Ryan prop, um, but. The Falcons beat the Broncos 34-27. Surprised at this final score. It seemed like the Falcons were up big. I didn't catch the end of this one, so I'm surprised Denver uh, pulled it so close. Falcons now 3-6, and six, uh, Broncos 3-5, and five, and the Falcons now just, um, you know, screwing up and taking themselves out of a big, better pick. Yeah, uh, second year in a row they're going to be doing this. But that's the danger of having a, uh, an interim head coach. Uh, Raheem Morris is fighting for his – you know, his career. He wants to keep that job. Yeah. Um, and Jerry Judy. Uh, Judy. Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> uh, had a seven-catch, 125-yard game for Denver. So he's stepping up, looking like a well, uh, a well-used uh, pick in the first round for the Broncos as they kind of fall out of the playoff race a little bit. Next, we get to Buffalo. Man, I'm mad at myself. I liked this game. I didn't take it. I let that – that joker Kyle Quinn talked me out of it last night. And I'll see Kyle this morning. Uh, this was one of the ones we went head-to-head on. He loves Seattle, and he's been red hot lately. So I didn't take the Bills plus three. Um, but I, that, that, that's what I do. I, I, don't, 
I don't take things and then I blame other people for not taking them. Uh, but the Bills beat the Seahawks 44-34 in this one. Yeah, I I, uh, I like this matchup for Buffalo just because um, how bad Seattle's defense is. Um, they're, they're actually kind of similar, too. The Buffalo, you think, would have a good defense, and they don't. So, yeah, it turned, out, it turned into a shootout. The over is probably the most predictable play on this one, and it, it uh, hit pretty comfortably. Yeah. Seattle, Seattle's defense really is bad, and they had Jamal Adams back in this game and still gave up 44. Uh, so Buffalo now 7-2. and two. Uh, Seattle falls to 8-2. and two. Still probably one of the favorites coming out of the NFC, uh, but they have major problems on that side of the ball. Uh, another one I liked that I didn't take, uh, Tennessee uh, giving up 6.5 to the Bears. They were up big. They hold on to win and cover 24-17. Um, Titans now 6-2. and two. Bears now five and four. Uh, Nick Foles throws for three hundred plus yards, but Mike Nick Foles not not playing well at all in Chicago. Yeah, these must all have been garbage time because I I checked in around halftime and he had a pretty underwhelming line. That um, offense is real. Allen Robinson is doing more with less than any receiver I've ever seen. Uh, so would do you would you go back to Trubisky at some point? I would. He was out of this game because he. Sustained an injury, I guess, in one play last week. You remember um, I told you he ran? Right, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's same thing with as Washington. Like, what are what are you doing here? You're playing Nick Foles. Nick Foles isn't your future. Uh, you might as well just put Trubisky in there. Nagy must, must really hate Trubisky. That's what I'm guessing. He must really well, have something really against He's really feeling the heat on his job, and he knows he has to, like, win immediately. He's a fool, though, Matt Nagy. He's, a bad, he's a bad coach. Why? I mean, what do you think? He's an offensive coach. Their offense stinks. Because well, he has no quarterback. That's his fault. He wanted Nick Foles. Nobody told him to go, you know, trade for Nick Foles. How did he? He won like eleven games the one year. Like he, he's a good coach. I think. No, nah, that was that was in eighteen when their season yeah. ended with the one of the best games in Eagles history, double doink. <laughs> but you That's disrespect right. every chance you get, Mike. Uh, very disappointing. Yeah. Um, but now we'll go to Indianapolis. Probably the most interesting matchup going into the day, and. Uh, I, I, you know, I told you my prediction last week for 2021 that Andrew Luck will be back with Indianapolis um, next season, and Frank Wright better put on the full court press because Philip Rivers uh, is just tearing down what could be a championship contending team as the Ravens beat the Colts 24 to 10. Colts have a championship caliber defense, but their offense they can't score points. Did you see Phil Rivers? Try and tackle Chuck Clark. That was amazing. On that fumble. <laughs> that was amazing. He just like fell backwards. Oh, it's seemingly intentionally, right? Like, I don't know what happened. I saw the like the still photos of it. And he tried to reach it's, it's him, him like, like, like a turtle. Yeah, yeah. It was great. Um but the Colts lose that one. They're five and three. Ravens now six and two. Or is that eight and two? My eyes are pretty bad. I think they're eight and two. They're eight and two through week nine. <laughs> okay, six and two then. <laughs> uh my my bad. Um, but it's hard to see on this uh, on this score sheet. Uh, one of the better games of the day, Chiefs and Panthers. This game went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Um, Chiefs end up winning 33-31. Panthers jump out early. Figured the Chiefs would sleepwalk, but they fight back. Uh, Do you see the end of this game, Mike? Matt Rule tries kicking a 67-yard field goal to win it. Uh, and it looked like it might have had the leg, but it was wide. What, was it fourth down? Uh, no, it was two seconds on the clock. Yeah, yeah but, I saw Carolina was driving, and then it just looked like the game ended. I, I didn't actually see what happened there. And their kicker, a guy named Joey Sly, he missed the kick. But I got to give Joey Sly. He sound doesn't that sound like a mobster name, Joey Sly? But yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it sounds like guy Sopranos, yeah. hanging around Satrials. Um, Where they put peeps on the tombstone? Yeah, but he was he is a buff kicker. Joey Sly. He's got some guns on him. Look him up. <laughs> Tatted up buff kicker, uh, but he couldn't oh, make yeah. the kick. <laughs> and the Chiefs win. Chiefs now 8-1. and one. That is an 8. And the Panthers fall to 3-6 and six on the year. Uh, next we go to Minnesota. This was your Jolly special. I'll give Jolly credit. Jolly uh, said this was his game of the week. Love the Vikings. And they cover. They beat Detroit 34-20. to Matt Stafford comes out of this game, and it's always hilarious when this guy comes in. Chase Daniel um, made more money for doing less work than anybody in NFL history, and he was terrible. Mm, Kevin Cobb? That's a good nominee. 
They're they're both up there. But Chase Daniel was never viewed as like a franchise's future the way Kevin Cobb. Was. No, he was not. No. Um. Yeah. No, I um. I was really sensitive to Dalvin Cook hot streak where he's just gonna like control like and, and really win games and just two in a row now for him. Um, two hundred on the ground. He had another big big play in the past game in like the second quarter. Yeah, really strong game from him. Yeah. No, he he's been great. Um, in recent weeks. So both those teams three and five. Next up in Jacksonville, this was my play of the day. Uh, t- Texans minus six and a half. They should have covered it, um, but gave up a touchdown up eight late to Jake Luton, who actually didn't play that bad in this game, replacing Gardner Minshew. Um, and the Jaguars, though, don't get the two-point conversion. They fall to Houston 27-25. Uh, Jags one and seven. Texans now two and six. Texans are bad this year. I, I did not see this uh, coming, I, I I thought you know Deshaun Watson would be enough to keep them in the mix, but you can't even trust them against the Jags. Yeah, and you know they have nothing to um, tank for, really. You know they don't even own their pick. Miami yeah, has it. True. Um, we go to Los Angeles. Uh, Raiders taking on the Chargers. The poor Chargers. They go down in the most devastating fashion. Final play of the game. Fade to the end, to this guy Parham. Um, it looks like it's a catch. Looks like Chargers win on the final play. Upon review, ball came loose, incomplete. They lose the Raiders 31-26. Mike, does it seem like this happens to the Chargers every week? They lose last-second games in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah, this is a new one, though. This one, one that was called a touchdown on the field, and I think I saw fireworks go off too. Really? They were celebrating. Yeah. That's never were shades of uh Sixers confetti. Yes, yes. Um but yeah, then overturned and it just barely did hit that uh bounced um not just the end zone, I think it also bounced out of bounds. But it hit the ground, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean look, the not a good game from the Raiders offense by the way either. Uh Derek Carr, 13 completions, 165 yards, um Booker was a, got a nice run, though. a nice little resurgence from him. Devontae Booker, the former yeah. uh, Utah back. Um, the Chargers have a star, though, in Justin Herbert. He is great. Yeah. He is great. I still, if I had to pick, I'd still take Burrow. Um, but Herbert, you know, uh, he, he's the real deal. And another touchdown catch in this game for, for our boy Nelly. Nelson Aguilar uh, catches another deep ball. 45. He's having a nice year. Um, next we go to Arizona, where Tua making the start, uh, gets the win, 34-31. Uh, Dolphins now 5-3. and three. Cardinals also 5-3. and three. Um, That was a fun game to watch. Kyler Murray is just so fun to watch play. But that Miami team, they're for real. They, they, are, they are going to the playoffs this year, Mike. That is my prediction. The Miami Dolphins are going to be a playoff team. And with all the draft picks they have for the future, I mean, they could be a dynasty in the making. What? Yeah. With Tua, can they have the, a 500 season first? Do you see how many picks they have? All right, can they have a 500 season first? We'll see before you go dynasty. They're in a good position moving forward. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're strong for, defense, good coach. We'll see about the quarterback. Tua played well, played well enough to win. He did. I also thought Cliff Kingsbury with a terrible decision. Um, he had third and one, and then fourth and one. If they can get third and one, fourth and one. He settles for like a 50-yard field goal. Yeah. And that was the game. He can't do that. Um, And, uh, by the way, another former Eagle making a catch in this game. His first catch since being cut by the Eagles uh, nearly 365 days ago, I guess. I think his last game as an Eagle was that game in Miami. And then the Dolphins scooped him up. Um, But Mac Hollins, on a fade route, catches a touchdown from Tua. Wow, he's, you think you survived that late into the season? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm pretty sure he did. He made it into the into December then. I think I remember because he got cut and then Miami picked him up. And I think we were joking about what did they see to think they could uh, use Mac Collins. But um, he had a touchdown catch. You are right. Uh, December 4th, they picked him up, yeah. Thank you. I knew that. I knew I was right. Um, we'll, we'll do the he, Sunday night game. What's that? Mac Collins did what you promised to do. He stayed. He stayed. You're right. He did. Good. Good point. Um, before we get to the the uh, really entertaining game of the day and have some sound for you, we'll recap the Sunday night game real quick. 
I will say I I napped through much of this game. I didn't see a ton of it. Um, but the Saints beat the Bucks thirty-eight to three. Horrible game for Tom Brady. Did I see this right, Mike? The Bucks ran the ball five times in this game. Could you imagine if the Eagles ran the ball five times? This city collective heads would explode. Yeah, I mean, Tampa was never. It, first of all, it never felt like they had the ball. Uh, at least the first half of the game. Um, you know, what they? Yeah, I guess they go three and out to start the game, and then from there, the, the Saints were just rolling. Touchdown, uh, touchdown, touchdown. Um, Brady had a couple picks. Brady, uh, uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm not sure if he did this as a tribute to Jameis. But he threw like the most hilarious pick where he was rolling one way and like threw it across his body. It was a play that you'd think Jameis would make. And did you see the one Antonio Brown like just, just clearly? I don't know what was going on, but the the routes weren't. Uh, it wasn't the route Brady was looking for. Did I did not. Know? How'd AB do? He didn't have a great game. I'm taking. He had a handful of catches. He, okay. He he looked uh he looked um in. On the sideline, I would say. All right. Well, I caught the very end. Best part of this game was in the post game. They're interviewing Drew Brees, Michelle Tafoya, uh, doing her post game interview, and uh, who sneaks up behind Drew? But Jameis, who got some play in this fresh game. off his season debut. Yeah, Jameis revenge game. And Jameis came up, and you got to look up the picture, Mike, because Mike is a huge Jameis fan. Um, he eats a W right by over Drew Brees' shoulder. So Jameis came there to do. Eating the W's and eating W's in Tampa, and everything is right with the world once again. Um, but the Saints, they are now six and two, Bucks six and three. Then the game of the day, I really thought the Cowboys were going to win this game. Um, not going in, obviously, but Garrett Gilbert gets the start. Uh, last played in the Alliance of American Football League last year, I believe, for the Orlando Rough Riders or something like that. I don't know what their team name was. Orlando something. Um, but Garrett Gilbert actually played all right, kept the Cowboys in the game. They had a 13-0 lead. Uh, it looked like Ben was going to have to leave with an injury, did come back, and in the final moments, Ben Roethlisberger to Eric Ebron gives Pittsburgh the lead. Then Gilbert uh, drives Cowboys down the field. Final throw to the end zone, though, would fall incomplete. And with that, uh, the Cowboys fall to 2-7. and seven. Steelers improved to 8-0. Did you think the Steelers were going to lose this game at any point, Mike? No, I really didn't. Really? Um, I thought if it got to... There, you know, there was a drive where the Steelers got it at, like, their own 11. It had to go pretty far down. I think it resulted in a field goal. But I thought if maybe if they didn't score there, it could have been a really tough spot for them. But nah, I actually never doubted it. Okay. I did. I thought, I, I thought the Steelers... Um, we're going to lose. I thought this was going to be a close game going in because I thought the Steelers would, would kind of sleepwalk through it, uh, and they did, but uh, obviously able to come back and win. And whenever the Cowboys lose, uh, we always like to hear from Stephen A. Smith, number one Dallas Cowboy hater in all the land. There, there's Stephen A. Um, he's always got to rip the Cowboys, even though you know it's a little less fun in these moments when, uh, when, when the Cowboys are you know uh, so short-handed. But um, it, it looks like their season is done. Uh, would you stick with Garrett Gilbert even when Andy Dalton's ready to go, Mike? I think I might. What's the point in throwing Andy Dalton out? What's the point of Garrett Gilbert? Red Rifle. Um, who knows? Maybe this guy can play a little bit. He showed a. Uh, Showed a little fire in there on Sunday, way more than uh than than Gucci Danucci did last week. Right. Well, he'll be thirty uh, when the season starts. Next. <laughs> okay, well maybe not then. <laughs> I thought he's a lot younger than that. Uh, but that'll do it for our Week Nine recap uh, of all the action on Sunday. A fun day in the NFL. Uh, so um, if you want to comment on any of the games, you're welcome to. But uh, some good games Sunday and. Monday night, man, what a stinker we have tonight. Uh, 
Cam and the Patriots against uh, Adam Gase and the New York Jets. Ugh. What do you think, Mike? Pat, Pat's minus nine and a half. Are you are you willing to lay that nine and a half tonight with with New England? No, I'm not. What about the over forty one and a half? I know they're two bad offenses. I'd go under. You go under on that? It's hard hitting unders in the NFL. A lot of these games find a way to go yeah. over in the end. Um, on top of my head, yeah, it feels like a lot of the games went over today. Yeah, I'm thinking of the Falcons game. I'm thinking of the Texans game. That was over fifty points. The Cardinals game. Yep. So uh, that's week nine. We'll do our week 10 preview a little later on in the week, uh, but a good day of football on Sunday. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Um, when we get back, I do want to uh, touch on some basketball things real quick. I was getting ready for the show, and uh, Shams Charania of The Athletic, um, who uh, is one of the top NBA insiders, other than Woj, he is uh, you know, probably the next best guy and challenges Woj in a lot of uh, regards for that top spot. He um, made an appearance on CBS 3 uh, with Pat Gallen on Sunday night. So I'll play you some of what uh, Shams had to say in regards to the Sixers, um, Daryl Morey, and some of the rumors this offseason as the NBA offseason sneaking up on us now, uh, which that's a nice little, uh, a nice little late November treat. Um, as the draft coming up uh, in about 10 days here and free agency not soon after. So we will hear what Shams had to say um, in regards to the Sixers this offseason. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215 592 Nine four nine four is how you join the show. Um, discussing the Eagles a lot tonight, obviously, and what they need to do to turn things around in the second half. Um, aside from Carson Wentz, obviously we've talked about Carson a lot, and we all know he needs to play better and he needs to protect the ball more. And uh, next segment, we'll let let you hear the uh, the opinion of somebody who knows the position Carson is sitting in well which is uh, my favorite, and, and I know everybody's favorite, number five, Donovan McNabb. Donovan uh, was on the Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio um, and discussed uh, Carson's play this year. Was this Donovan's first appearance on the Zach Gelb show since uh, the infamous clip with the overlapping? Maybe. Yeah, that's right. We had a good overlapping clip. From, we haven't had a good overlap in a while, Mike. Well, they, these have been you know tough times. Yeah, but we'll, I mean, there's always overlapping. We're gonna have to find some of that. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll go on the uh, I'll go on the lookout. I'll be on the lookout on Monday. See if we can get a good overlapping clip for you uh, tomorrow night. We haven't had enough of those yeah. recently. Um, maybe maybe things will, people will be more joyful, so a little little more likely to have laughs. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so uh, we'll play you some Donovan sound next, uh, which I know. Uh, delights some people and annoys others. Uh, but I enjoy hearing from Donovan. I think Donovan, you know, on on quarterback play, he knows what he's talking about. You know, you can't, you can't question his credentials. Certainly the best quarterback in franchise history. I'm a five guy. I always have been. Uh, so uh, we will play a little bit of Donovan next. Uh, but what else needs to happen for the Eagles to kind of turn things around and not just win the division? Because winning the division – if this team can't win the division, it's a disgrace. Like, uh, you got the Giants 2-7, and seven, Washington 2-6. and six, They just lost their quarterback. And now they're either playing with Alex Smith, who, let's face it, shouldn't even be playing football, or Dwayne Haskins, who is so bad or, or you know, whatever it is that, that, the, that Washington – whoa, I almost forgot there. I almost used the R word. But Washington won't even put him on the field. So – um, if the Eagles can't beat those teams out, then you throw in Dallas, and we all know their situation. There's no excuse for it. So uh, division, that's not even what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking, can this team make some sort of a run? And with the competition in the NFC, they should be able to at least have an opportunity. There's nobody in this conference um, that is imp- all that imposing. And you look at the first round, if the Eagles do get in, they'll be hosting a wild card team. And 
the likely opponents would be Nick Foles and the Bears. I mean, Brady and the Bucks, which they look pretty good, uh, but Sunday night they were terrible. I mean, probably the team I'd least like to see is Arizona. Uh, maybe the Rams. I mean, the Rams are beatable. So um, the Eagles more than likely will get a beatable opponent at home in the playoffs. 215-592-9494. Um, but I did want to uh, touch on the Sixers a little bit here. As the offseason rapidly approaching with the NBA uh, and the Players Association coming to agreement on a deal where their season starting December 22nd, which crazy that, uh, you know, it's going to be starting back up again that soon. Um, I mean, we're six weeks away. We're three weeks away from training camps opening. Uh, and draft next week, November 18th, I believe, a Wednesday night, um, which hopefully I'll be on that night and we'll, we'll have draft to talk about. But uh, free agency starting a few days after. And this is obviously a critical offseason for the Sixers. First opportunity for Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers to put their stamp on this team and, you know, try to figure out a way to cure some of the issues that have plagued the Sixers over the last few years, and certainly last year, the move of signing Tobias Harris and signing Al Horford. Um, Moves that can't be undone, but maybe you could find a way out of one or both those contracts. Um, But as far as what the new front office looks like, there are a lot of questions. Because Daryl Morey comes in seemingly into a maybe a bit of an awkward situation where Elton Brand thought he was going to be running the show. Sixers had hired uh, Peter Dinwiddie from Indiana. They had seemingly had their front office in place. And now Daryl Morey comes in pretty much above everybody to run the show. Uh, Chomps Charania of The Athletic, joined uh, Pat Gallen of CBS3 on Sunday night uh, to talk a little bit uh, about what the Sixers' new front office structure is going to look like. Josh Harris, the front office, um, they were disappointed with the way last season when Elton Brand understood that this year the mandate would be to improve the team, improve the front office, and in getting Daryl Morey that was a sign and a step in the right direction. And now he's going to be tasked with leading this front office along with Elton Brand, Peter Dinwiddie, who the, the Sixers brought in from in Indy, from Indianapolis um, to, to be a part of this front office. So, yeah, you're going to have a lot of voices in that front office. And uh, here is more from Shams on what Maury's approach will be and, and what it's going to kind of look like with all those voices needing to coexist. I think it's a positive sign that Daryl Morey, everything in his history shows that he's very collaborative, he's very open, and and really interested in hearing the ideas and philosophies of the other people around him. In Houston, in talking to people that worked with Daryl Morey, the positive thing about their front office in Houston was that every person had a say, had some type of input in that front office. You had the, you know, whether it was Eli Whitus, Raphael Stone, um, several other front office members in that group, and he's been able to have his own front office tree. Uh, Arturis Karnishevis, Gerson Rosas, Monty McNair, th- who have all gone on to have leading front office positions at different organizations, and I think that is a testament to Daryl Morey and his inclusion within the front office. So that is a positive in terms of if you're Elton Brand, Peter Dinwiddie, Doc Rivers, and you will be included in different personnel decisions, being in the room for major decisions. And as Daryl said, and I I do believe that really is his philosophy in terms of holding everyone accountable and really being able to listen to every voice in the room. Now, we've heard the Sixers front office, you know, likes this collaborative approach in the past. Um, I think it'll work better now because you actually have guys that know what what they're doing. Like, I don't think the problem before was that the Sixers had a collaborative approach. I think the problem was that they had a bunch of the Colangelo cronies that didn't really know what they were doing and didn't really know how to run an organization. And that was a bigger problem than the collaborative mindset um, to begin with. Like, I think collaboration is a good thing. And now you have voices, like Daryl Morey, obviously, 
Doc will have an input, I'm sure. Uh, Elton Brand will, I'm, I'm sure since he's staying, he's been guaranteed that he will have a significant role. And uh, Peter Dimwitty as well, a guy who's pretty highly respected, who the Sixers bring over from Indiana. And I, I like that Maury, despite being the guy in charge, obviously, he is not somebody who is going to just, you know, make demands and run the show himself. He's willing to hear people out. He's willing to kind of uh, of take other people's inputs and apply that uh, to how he'd like to run the team. Um, so I think that's interesting in terms of how the front office will work. Now, as far as moves that could be made, the Sixers so far this offseason have been linked to one prominent name in the NBA, James Harden. And obviously, you can connect the dots via Daryl Morey and his ties to Houston, coming from Houston, where he acquired James Harden, have worked with James Harden for years. Uh, here is Shams on the Sixers and those rumors surrounding James Harden. The Sixers are going to express interest and, and have a level of pursuit for James Harden, but, but as will other teams. And as of right now, uh, sources tell me that is a non-starter for the Rockets. They are not uh, looking to, to do a James Harden move, no matter if it involves someone like a Ben Simmons or, you know, there are a lot of teams around the league that would throw major assets players. Uh, but for the Rockets right now, with James Harden having two years left on his deal, um, that, you know, before a player option in 2022, it doesn't make sense for them to move him now. But listen, Daryl Morey has a history of taking big swings. He's gone at major star level players. That's why he brought in James Harden uh, less than a decade ago. And I wouldn't expect anything different in his tenure in Philadelphia. Now, that kind of surprises me from Houston's end a little bit. Um, not that you're going to give James Harden away. Obviously, you're not going to do that. But it surprises me that the situation that they're in, that he says they wouldn't entertain a deal for Ben Simmons. Like, if I was Houston, Mike, Mike, if you were in, in the Rockets spot, I'm not saying you necessarily do it, mm-hmm. but wouldn't you want to hear the Sixers out on, on, on a Ben Simmons deal? All right, so go back to why would they trade James Harden? Because so, he's a guy on the other side of 30 with two years left on his deal, and it doesn't. It kind of looks to me like their window's closed. Like, okay. I would, if I were them, I would be very interested in trading for a Ben Simmons who's under contract for five years and kind of start a new window. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong on that. I just, that, all that could very well be true. I, I perceive the problem in Houston is a money problem with this pandemic. Um, and I think he wants to definitely get under the luxury tax and definitely like if he can shed salary uh, with Harden. So if you're going to shed salary with Harden, you're not going to take on another max player. Right. And you really can't. Yeah. You really can't shed salary in the NBA without bringing salary back. Yeah. And I guess they look at it and they're thinking, well, at least when we get fans in the stands, James Harden will sell tickets. Yes. Um. So that, that, that's a factor as well. So the Harden stuff looks unlikely. I mean, with Daryl Morey, I'm not willing to say anything is impossible. Nothing's impossible. Um, and he's shown that in the past, he's been able to work out deals that, you know, you never thought he'd be able to work out, whether it be Chris Paul or anybody else. There is one player that I think is a lock to be on the Sixers next year on the Rockets right now. They have the two biggest fans of him in the organization now. Yeah, Austin. Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers. There's no doubt in my mind Austin Rivers will be a Sixer next year. And I like Austin Rivers. He'll be a nice bench piece if the Sixers can get him. Yeah, I mean, he he'll, he can play playoff minutes. He'll, you know... They could use them, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, so your mind is in the same spot. That was one of the first things I thought is Austin Rivers definitely going to be a Sixer next year. Yeah. I mean, Maury, Doc. Yeah. yeah. Well, I should have put Doc first, but yeah. right. So, um, you look now at what the Sixers do have, and obviously, if you're listening to Daryl Morey's press conference, you can tell that this whole thing in his mind is going to be built around Joel Embiid. Now, you know, I love Ben Simmons. I think they are both equally important to this team's success. But Daryl Morey clearly, clearly sees something in Joel Embiid. And maybe this has to do with his relationship with Sam Hinkie, who is still, you know, very good friends with Embiid. As Hinkie said on the Pablo Torre podcast, that they still text and send me. That's a weird pair. That's a weird friendship, isn't it, Mike? Hinkie and Embiid. Well, uh, 
you remember why Hinky said uh, Embiid will ever text him? No. He he texts him when he needs something. Oh yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a. That doesn't sound like much of a friendship. It sounds like more. You know, um, jo- Joel's using him in some ways, but uh, obviously, Maury feels very, uh, very strongly about Embiid. Here is Shams on what he's heard about Joel Embiid this offseason. I, I think people do view the Sixers as a, a line, landmine of opportunity. I think there are uh, possibilities here with the Sixers. As long as you have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons leading uh, the, the, the charge, I think there is optimism. They need to get shooting around Joel Embiid, around Ben Simmons. Um, but one positive news for Sixers fans, Patrick, I'm told Joel Embiid has worked the hardest this offseason than he ever has um, focusing on different areas of his game um, in past years that he may not have and really putting forth the off-the-court uh, structure and, and focusing it on areas off the floor, um, whether it's his diet, whether it's his, his sleep, his preparation, to really prepare himself for a full NBA season, which is coming on December 22nd, opening night. And him and Daryl Morey have already hit it off, already have a, a rapport going on, and I'm told he is excited about the move bringing in Daryl Morey. Well, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. We've heard this stuff about Joel Embiid in the past, that, oh, watch this offseason, he's going to come back in the best shape of his career, blah, 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 and it doesn't usually seem to happen. I would love to see Joel Embiid take his health more seriously. He needs to. If Joel Embiid's ever going to be the top five-type MVP caliber player that we hope he can be and think he could be, which I I still think that capability's there, he's going to need to prove it because we've heard this stuff before and it hasn't really happened. Now, maybe with Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers, maybe they can be the guys to get Joel Embiid uh, to do that kind of stuff because I do believe that there was a a disconnect of sorts between Embiid and the previous front office where he wasn't consulted. And in the NBA, you got to make your stars know how important they are to your organization. And I'm not sure the Sixers always did that. With Daryl Morey, he is obviously going out of his way to do that. And I hope Joel Embiid has finally figured out that he needs to take better care of his health uh, to be at the best spot at the end of the season. But here's one more from Shams. Ultimately, talking about what are the realistic expectations for the Sixers going into the 2021-22 season. I I don't know if they're contenders off the bat, uh, Patrick, but I do believe that the Sixers are going to be a team that should be competing for home court advantage, even if they don't make a major move this offseason. But, you know, one thing that Daryl Morey, his front office, will work on is finding shooting for this group. And there's no doubt there's an understanding within this uh, for an office within this franchise, they need to bring more shooting, uh, more floor spacing, more playmaking around Joel Embiid. And in the end, that's what it's really going to come down to, is um, the Sixers need to find a way uh, to to get shooting, get guys who can complement Embiid Simmons. It's where the previous orga, or, you know, organizational structure failed, and it's it's going to be what's necessary for this team uh, to reach their potential. So um, we'll see. It'll be interesting to get going in a couple weeks with the uh, offseason. Uh, but some interesting things that Shams had to say in regards to the Sixers. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. When we get back, um, talked a little bit about Carson Wentz and I try to focus on other aspects of the team. Uh, but when we get back, I do want to let you hear a little sound from the former quarterback, Donovan McNabb. Uh, talking about Carson Wentz, what he's seen this year. Play that next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. He's this this music, Mike, that made me think we're having a Gabe check-in or something. This sounds like the kind of music Gabe would, would enjoy, right? What, what, is, what, is that Kid Rock? Oh, okay. 
I don't I don't know. I, you know, I'm not you didn't know I'm not a big I'm not a big band guy, Al. Um, I didn't even know Fleetwood Mac was till a couple of weeks ago. Um, but we'll, we'll see. If, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can track some Gabe sound for tomorrow. Probably not. He, he who knows where Gabe is right now. Where do you what do you think Gabe's doing with his off season, Mike? Where do you, where do you think he is uh, enjoying his off season? You think he's just well, hanging he's, out by the bay? He's definitely in California. Yeah. You think so? Do you think he still has a property in in, in Philadelphia area? Northern Liberties, no. <laughs> you don't think so? No. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll 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 see. Maybe we'll hear from Gabe at some point in the next couple couple months here. Um, but I did want to uh, talk a little bit now about uh, Carson Wentz, who we we've tried to steer a little bit away from tonight. Talk about the other aspects with the team um, as we head into the second half. But I saw this pop up on my Twitter timeline over the weekend, and. Whenever this guy talks about the quarterback of the Eagles, we need to listen. I mean, who is more equipped to talk about the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles than the best Eagles quarterback of all time, number five, Donovan McNabb? Yeah, especially on the subject of benching. We, I mean, come on, Mike. That's a cheap well, listen, shot. Listen, we're that's, talking, a low blow. that's a low we're blow. That's about, unnecessary. We're talking about a guy that got benched for not just Kevin Cobb, but for Rex Grossman and for Christian Ponder. Okay, well, so Don- he's well experienced at getting benched for the you know- Minnesota year. I mean, Donovan Donovan wasn't taking care of himself at that point. He was he had given <laughs> up. I mean, he's still money at that point. But he got benched once in ten years. I'd say that's pretty good. And he, he got he, his job back. He got the next benched week. three times. When? All the ones I just mentioned. He yeah, got- in ten years in Philadelphia. Okay. Well, le- actually, eleven years. Um, once he took over for Doug in '99, so well, all right, them trading him—that's kind of benching him. It's just a way more permanent basis. Yeah, and they they recognized that was a mistake immediately because after one half of Kevin Cobb, <laughs> Andy's like, I'm, "I'm not doing this anymore." Michael Vick's my quarterback. Um, so that was, uh, but trading Donovan—they got out at the right time. Donovan Donovan was a very good player who you know was past his prime after 2009. But there's no need for cheap shots. Uh, to take shots at, at a great Philadelphia Eagle like Donovan McNabb. And um, whenever Donovan uh, talks about the situation with the Eagles quarterback, I am always interested because Donovan's been known to potentially be a little jealous and uh, not be all that objective uh, because he is kind of, you know, sensitive about his place in Eagles history and not getting the respect he deserves. And unfortunately for him, now that Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, he's probably never going to get that respect. Um, But Donovan was on CBS Sports Radio with Zach Gelb, uh, I think late last week, and talked a little bit about Carson. Here is Donovan on uh, whether he is concerned about Carson Wentz's play through the first half of this season. I am. I am concerned. Uh, I'm concerned because to me, when I watch... Uh, it seems he's trying to do too much. And he's trying to put, you know, really too much pressure on his shoulders because of the situation around him. And you, if you watch the game, I mean, a couple times holding the football entirely too long, if you're going to run and scramble, pick up yards, go. Don't sit and fade and try to wait for people to get open. No, you don't have the, the, uh, the ultimate weapons on the outside to be able to create that much time. Uh, and to me, he's trying to force, force balls in the – in the tight windows or trying to place it in places where he feels his receiver can get in the DB and obviously jumps into the lane. Uh, I would like to see him protect the football more, uh, get back to the on-schedule plays, getting back a three- to five-step drop and let the ball go, trusting his receivers. Now, you know, you can say whatever you like about Donovan McNabb, but there's nothing he said there that was untrue. And, you know, I think he makes some good points in terms of Carson Wentz. Obviously, he's holding the ball too long. Uh, Donovan noted that right off the bat. Holding the ball entirely too long and forcing it in to tight windows um, is obviously something that's going to get you in trouble. And for Donovan's faults, which he had several, he was not a big interception guy. He did not turn the ball over at a high rate. You could count on Donovan McNabb to take care of the ball. So in evaluating a quarterback's play, you know, I think his his assessment is valuable in that regard because he was so good at that aspect of things of taking care of the ball. 
He wouldn't always make huge plays, but you could count on him that he'd give you a chance because he wouldn't turn the ball over at a high rate. And another thing that Donovan said there that I totally agree with in terms of Carson is that he doesn't run enough. He doesn't take off and use his legs enough. Where if you see an opening and there's an opportunity to run and get a first down, run and get the first down. Where how many times do we see Carson Wentz kind of break the pocket and he's got a running lane and he could go, but he drifts and he continues to look down the field. And that's not always a bad thing. But you got to understand at times when you don't need that big play. You just need to keep moving the chains. Just get a first down. And as somebody who used his legs a lot, Donovan understands that aspect of the game of when you need to kind of stop looking for the play down the field and take off and run. So uh, I've seen a lot of the same things he has there. Here's more um, from Car- from uh, Donovan when asked about uh, uh, whether Carson can turn this thing around. With the lack of weapons that they have on offense and the health just being at such a poor spot at the offensive line, can Carson get to a great level of play this year, or is it just because he's pressing so much and he doesn't have the weapons, that's going to prevent him from reaching his ceiling this year? Well, that's the positive thing about playing in the NFL. You have a long season, and he's not looking over his shoulders by any means of, of Doug making a, a quarterback change. So he's going to have to fare for himself. He's going to have to deal with the situation and get it cleaned up. And I think this bye week will definitely help him if, if he can come back, kind of refocus and recharge and ready to make a, a push for the playoffs. And so if, if he's able to protect the football a little bit more and convert on third downs and move the chains, then, yeah, we'll start to see a lot change with this offense and really with this football team. But if he continues to, to play the way he's been playing, it's going to be maybe a six-game six game winning season, uh, and, and that's not acceptable in Philadelphia. It's really that simple. Uh, you know, and, and we talk about a lot of different aspects of the team, but it is that simple with Donovan or, or with Carson, um, where he's got to play better, and if he doesn't, this team's not going not gonna to be able to go anywhere significant. You know, maybe he can win a bad division, but uh, with the way this conference looks, you could have the ability to do more than that, even being an imperfect team. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he needs to play better, and he needs to find a way to turn this thing around. Now, as far as the benching aspect that Mike and I discussed a little bit earlier, um, Donovan was really never benched until 2008. And, uh, you know, for a quarterback to be able to go that long without losing his job um, is pretty impressive. And, uh, I mean, didn't even lose his job then. Uh, Came back in the next week and was the starter here, went healthy for 10 years. Um, Here's Donovan when asked whether the Eagles should consider benching Carson Wentz at any point. Uh, No. No, because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of key factors in that whole deal. I know he's your franchise quarterback, and, and they, I mean, he's, he's their guy. And, and so they're going to kind of stick with him, and they don't want to make that move. They, I mean, they got two, two years on his contract that they got to pay money. So you better get at least one year out of one more year out of it. Uh, you know, would it be a, a move that, that if Jalen Hurts got in there, would, it, would they lose anything? At this particular point, I don't know if they lose anything. I don't think they gained much, uh, but with Jalen Hurts, he would be able to gain experience, and then they can kind of build around him. But uh, Carson Wentz is their guy, and he should be their guy. Uh, but he's just going to have to refocus and recharge to get this thing turned around. I appreciate that from Don. How about that, Mike? You're, you're such a Donovan hater with your your nonsense. You can't stand Donovan. You really no. I, I hate Donovan. He's Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, well, you you hear that? He's saying don't bench Carson. That's that's the magnanimous thing to do. I think everybody thought that Donovan would just pile on and say, yeah, he stinks, bench him, because Donovan's insecure about being the best quarterback in Eagles history, which he well, clearly is. He definitely is. Um, but how about that? He's saying don't bench Carson. Leave him in there. I think that's a that that's a that's a positive message from from Donovan McNabb. Uh 
You're right. It certainly was magnanimous. You're right. Did I use magnanimous right? I'm not even no, sure. You did. I'm not even okay. Sure. I just want to make sure. I wanted to make sure um, that that I did. I don't want to mess up my vocabulary here. Um, but uh, and I want to get to this more. Uh, we'll do it more tomorrow. But you know, we talk about the benching of Carson Wentz. I don't think it's. I mean, it's not that simple. I don't even think it's really Doug Peterson's decision. Honestly, uh, I think Doug Peterson needs approval from higher up before he were to go that route. So when we ask during the Cowboys game last week whether Doug was considering benching him, uh, I think Doug probably has to check with Howie and Jeff Lurie before he were, you know, to be able to make that kind of move anyway. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Paul, I see there. You'll be first right after the break. And then you, if you want to get in, uh, it looks like Paul has a challenge Um to me about Donovan being the best quarterback in Eagles history. I mean, I'm curious who you, you might throw out there. I mean, if you want to throw Nick Foles, Michael Vick, I don't really know who else you could even suggest. Uh, but we'll talk to Paul next segment. And I mentioned this Phillies thing earlier that we'll touch on again uh, because um, we I thought we were done with, with mocking Andy McPhail and John Middleton, but not yet because uh, the Mets' new owner came in this weekend and – he is already making them look foolish. So we'll talk about that next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.